Gary a hand. You do a great job, Gary, and so grateful for your uh, spiritual influence in my kids' lives. And now uh, let's give Joel a hand, our guest worship leader. That was awesome. I love the, the hoedown part. And uh, thank you for coming. If, if I haven't met you, my name is Mike Hawthorne. I'm the pastor here at Horseshoe Road. It is a beautiful, beautiful day. It's 65 degrees and sunny. We don't get a lot of these, so thank you for spending it here in worship. We've been in a sermon series called Lessons from Lockdown, looking at the wisdom that the Apostle Paul has to share with all of us in a letter he wrote to a church that he planted years earlier. Uh, we know this letter as the letter we call the Philippians, the epistle to the Philippians. And today we're reading from chapter 4. Before I get there, I have a question for you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how content are you as a person? Like 0 being not so content, and 10 being really, really, really content. I think for most of us, I mean, if we're honest, we kind of have a pretty low number, right? And today, we're looking at this letter because Paul claims to have found a secret, kind of developed a superpower. The ability to be content despite circumstances. And if you think about this, as Americans, we tend to fall into the, the proclivity or personality way of thinking that contentment is something you're born with or something you're not born with. But Paul is arguing, actually, this is a skill that we can learn. So let's, let's look to chapter 4 here. <clears throat> I'm reading from the NIV translation. Uh, the translation on your handout is... Uh, uh, Pastor Tom's original translation from the original Greek. I write my messages with uh, a language scholar, pastor out in California. And so he took a few liberties, but I'm going to read right from the NIV 4.10. Paul has this to say, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. What's happening is they've sent a runner to provide him with life-saving food. You don't get food in the ancient world prison system. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is God's word. This is the letter that Paul wrote from prison in a place of great need. And, he, and he's saying, hey, thanks for the life-saving gift. Not that I was in need. Actually, Paul, you were in need. But what is he getting at? He's saying, yes, I was in need. Yes, I was starving to death. Yes, I'm being tortured as a political prisoner. Yes, I'm on death row. Yes, it's unfair. Yes, it hurts. But I've learned how to not only endure that, but really, really be content. You know what the ancient Greek word for contentment means? Contentment. <laughs> That's what it means. It's the same meaning. I, I mean... Wow, Paul. You know, when I was in college, my roommate made fun of me. He's like, you are such a high-maintenance dude. You, you need a noise machine? 
And if the temperature isn't just right, you kick, kick the thermostat up a few degrees. In the winter, you have to be optimally hot. In the summer, you have to be optimally cold. And you just have like a thousand pillows in your bed. And, it is a... and then I went and joined the US Army. <laughs> and let me tell you, I had a hard time at basic combat training. I just was not made for that place. I mean, they don't let you sleep very much. They're very good at putting you in a temperature that is not optimal. They yell at you a lot. Uh, if you're not someone who is naturally content, you struggle. And, and it's interesting because there's a lot of social observation at basic training because there's a lot of time just spent like this. They just put you in rows of people and you just have to think and you watch other people. And, and some people who really grew up in a tough environment really struggled in a poverty-stricken area or uh, really were abused as kids, and they'd be honest about that. They seem to do actually a lot better than some people like kids who grew up in Lakeville, Minnesota, in a suburb, and, and was a little bit spoiled growing up. And, and I would watch these guys, and it's like, how do they just roll with the punches here? They just seem to have developed or learned an innate ability to be okay whether they're doing push-ups, whether they've got three hours of sleep or six hours of sleep, whether they drew their short straw and had fire watch duty, what, you know, just they're okay. I mean, it's not like they didn't have preferences, but they learned how to be content. Maybe, maybe that's what Paul is getting at here. But here's, here's what I've noticed. As I've grown in my ability to be content, it has come through one source and one source only, is prayer. The path to contentment is not positive thinking. It's not just being tough. It's not even discipline. It's prayer. It's constantly talking to Christ. Kind of an interesting thing to say. It sounds like a Sunday school answer. You know, if you say prayer or Jesus, you're right most of the time, right? But but in this case, it, it really is the case that, that for Paul, his recipe for contentment is prayer. When I when I was uh, on the swim team in college, in my locker, uh, they used to make fun of me because I had Philippians 4.13 written on the inside of the locker. And when you go to a state school that's more interested in partying and drinking, and praying, you know, your, your teammates make fun of you because you've got, I can do all things in Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. And, and I think at that point in my life, I had a bit of a shallow faith. I've met some college students that don't have a shallow faith, but for me, it was a bit shallow. And I read this ancient letter, and I cherry-picked that little line from the Apostle Paul, and for me, what that meant is that I could break 21 flat in the 50 freestyle if I just looked at that little verse enough, I would swim faster. What in the world was I thinking? Paul doesn't care how fast I swim. But I've seen other athletes do this. Pro athletes say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the MVP as a rookie here because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is not saying that if you work up a bunch of spiritual energy, and say, I can do anything, I can do it. 
in Christ, you can be a great athlete. What Paul is saying, what Paul is interested in, is non-circumstantial contentment that is found but with a deep connection, an unsevered connection to Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, when I was with you guys, Philippians, remember Lydia? Purple fabric dealer? She's like an ancient equivalent of a rich person. She, she took care of us. We lived large. There was a season for us where life was pretty easy. The food was good. We got a lot of sleep. We weren't in danger at that moment. And everything was great. And now I'm chained to a Praetorian guard. Every four hours, a new one comes in with new creativity to make my life miserable. My whole plan of coming to Rome and preaching to mass crowds has been shattered. And now I'm on death row. I don't know if I'll live. I don't know if I'll die. I'm 60 to 70 years old, which is in the ancient world equivalent to like 120, because they just don't have the health care, and he had a rough life. And he's saying, but, but lean into this, guys. I have learned that even when I'm starving, I know how to be content. Are you the type of person who is on your way to developing this spiritual skill? Or are you the type of person who has long ago said, I am who I am. This is how I was born. I'm kind of a non-content person. Which is it? I was talking with uh, Joel about the Enneagram before, before the worship service. This is a personality mapping system. And essentially, you are one of nine different numbers. And it kind of measures your motivation. And sevens, that's what I am, a seven, typically are not content people by nature. Nines, I'm married to a nine. She's super content. Just her, her wire. So it, it is worth pointing out that there are some personality types, God-given personalities, that are naturally a little more adaptive to being content in different circumstances. For example, you might be married to someone who just never can sit still. You're at the cabin, you're on a vacation, and they're just, they're just fixing something, puttering with something. If they're not productive, they're miserable. They just can't stop. Or you might be best friends with someone who has just got no opinions about anything. Where do you want to go for, for lunch? No, it doesn't matter. Where do you want to go on vacation? Wherever you want. Where do you want to you know, spend our retirement? Oh, it doesn't matter. Right? We are different in our personalities. But what Paul is saying, no matter what the shape of your personality, you can, if you want to learn how, become a person who is content all the time. That's crazy. What a statement. That is a crazy statement. It doesn't sound believable to me. And if it wasn't written by a man who was modeling it like that, I, I, I would highly doubt the truth of this statement. I mean, think of it. If this guy was writing from like a palace as a sage and just saying, you know, I've learned how to be content. And someone's fanning him and feeding him grapes. <laughs> that really would not have, have a lot of, that wouldn't hold water, but he's not. He's writing from chains. And he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you look at your notes, I have crossed out the word through and I've changed it in italics with the word in. In Greek, it's the same same word. 
but it can be translated contextually either through or in, by, with, through, in. You just have to, you have to judge the context. But, but in this case, it does kind of matter. I can do all things through Christ. That would, that would have a certain connotation, like through his, his power, like he'll grant me the superpower to be content. That's one way of thinking about it, but, but just shift it a little bit and think about, I can do all things in Christ. That's kind of what Paul seems to be thinking. You see, Paul, throughout his letters, is always talking about what it's like to be in Christ. And it's kind of a mysterious phrase. What does it mean to be in Christ? I mean, it's straightforward to say to know Christ, to know about Christ, to be in Christ, to be engulfed, to be hidden in his life. Really, if you look at different sections of, of that language throughout his letters, for Paul, it, it's about being constantly absorbed in remembering and focusing on Jesus, talking to Jesus. Prayer is talking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, fixing our mind on Jesus. It's doing life with Jesus. It's making Jesus a part of everything in your life, which is really not intuitive. I mean, I was taking out the trash yesterday. I hate taking out the trash, right? Because we have a lot of garbage cans in our house, and it's just very monotonous. Nobody puts the recycling in the right thing, and then I have to do it, right? And that is not typically a moment where I'm like, Jesus, I invite you into taking out the trash with me. <laughs> Jesus, I'm frustrated that somebody put this in the wrong bin. But instead of judging them or feeling like a martyr, I'm going to talk to you about it. Jesus, I'm going to bring you the monotony and the emotions that spur out of the monotonous little moments of my life. If we're honest, most of us don't invite Jesus into that monotony. We say, Jesus, you and I get to talk when I bring my lawn chair and I go to Mercy Road and I hear about the Bible. That's when I'll think about you. And then when I'm done, I'm going to think about brunch. But when I'm thinking about where I'm going to eat for brunch or lunch, or what I'm going to make at home, like I don't think you need to be involved in that. You don't care. He does care. And for Paul, he has learned to invite Jesus into the monotony and the, the mechanical routine moments of life, as well as the good moments and the happy moments. He's just always aware of the presence of Christ. And think about that for a minute, fellow followers of Jesus. We believe as Christians that Christ is really as close to us as our own breath, that he's ever present with us all the time in every moment of our lives. And for some of us, we, we've, we really kind of have invented a, a type of Jesus that isn't Jesus, and so we don't like to think about that because we think Jesus is always mad at us, and he's always judging us, and he's always scolding us, like like kind of a constantly disappointed parent. So, so it freaks us out to think that he's that close to us, but when you really get to know the real Jesus, and you know he's 100% grace and truth, and he, he knows you better than you know you, and he loves you, and he, he wants to help you, then it's actually a comfort that he's this close to me. If I had a friend this close to me, I would be violating social distance protocol, but besides that, I would always kind of think about what they want in whatever I'm doing. If they're like following me around the house as I'm taking out the trash, I would start up a small conversation with them, just saying, 
rather than grumbling about recycling, let's chat. So why don't we do that with Jesus? Well, it's hard, I think, right? We forget. You don't see him. And it's easier to focus on whatever's visually in front of your visual cortex. So what is the recipe for prayerful contentment? This is a cheesy preacher thing. Forgive us. I think it's like a a mental disease that we all have, but we have to do the, the same letters in all of our points. So we've got these R's here. First, reveal. Paul is super honest about his situation. It's not like he's saying, do you know what I love? Starving in a political prison. He's, he's just being honest. For some of us, we've mistaken contentment with denial. Right? In our efforts to try to learn how to be content, we just, we're just ridiculously overly optimistic and say, like, no, I love Minnesota weather, especially when it's negative 34 degrees, you know? And I don't mind 100% humidity. Like, that's fine. It's all good. It's all great. No, you can admit those, those are the terrible states of weather, right? You can be honest about being hungry and not having food just like he is. So you reveal the truth to Jesus. And then you make your request to Jesus. Tell Jesus what you think you need. What you think you need. Look back on your life. It doesn't take too many years to look back and realize that there were times where you thought you needed something, and you might have even told Jesus that you didn't need that, and then a few years later you're like, I didn't need that. And in many cases, thank God for not giving it to me. You know, we're always just kind of eyeing it. We're always just coming from a place of immaturity and a lack of wisdom in, in certain areas of our life. So we're honest about what hurts, what's wrong, and then we're honest about what we think would make it right and what would make it better. Jesus, this is kind of my deal. This is why I'm not content and it hurts, but this is what I would like to have happen. And then, rather than just waiting to see how he answers it and kind of saying, oh, no, it didn't work or it did work, we then move our minds to remembering. This is what Paul does that's very peculiar to Paul. He's always remembering. And in, in a moment, we're going to take communion, which is an ultimate way of doing this, but he's always remembering the suffering of Jesus. He's always remembering what Jesus did for him. He's always remembering that Jesus modeled the secret to contentment. He was an itinerant, wandering Jewish rabbi who didn't own property and, and really had a hard time of it, if you really think of it. Totally misunderstood. Uh, persecuted by the very religious leadership that, that should have been embracing him and the government. I mean, I mean, he really had a hard life. The Bible says that he wasn't even that good looking. Did you know that? For whatever reason, people didn't find him attractive. He wasn't respected in a culture where people only respect people like over 40 if they're a rabbi. He was you know, at 30 years old, when he started his ministry, he's constantly being misunderstood. And the more I think about Jesus being in non-ideal circumstances, the more I can start to reframe mine and say, wait, if the Son of God came and endured all this stuff, went to the cross for me, why do I feel that I'm entitled to perfect weather and constant pleasure? Jesus models for me that maturing 
and growing and becoming like God happens through enduring suffering, why would I want to be exempt from that? Paul knows that something powerful happens in the seasons where it's hard and it's hot and drill sergeants yell at you and you have to sleep without a white noise and you have to take the garbage out and it's boring. Paul knows that when we are in a time of great uncertainty and we have to miss the state fair, <laughs> good things can actually happen. And so he's content as he is honest about his situation. He makes his request. God, I'm starving in prison. I would love food. Like, please, if you could send somebody. Eventually somebody does come, but not before. He probably lost a lot of his body weight and went through a lot of suffering. And while he's hungry, he's remembering when Jesus himself went hungry. When the Son of God models contentment and honest embrace of his circumstances. And then what do you do? You repeat. You repeat. Contentment is not just something God gives you. It's not just a gift like a superpower. Like, I'm just going to make you uh, able to fly. Boom. It's something that God grows in you. Have you learned to find joy and peace even in times of scarcity and uncertainty? If you have not, if I have not, God wants to teach us that. And there is a practical way to do it, and it involves fixing our eyes on Christ. One of the things that keeps me from contentment is comparison. And so I've been in a season where it's been really important for me to just not compare my life to the life of other people. As we write these messages, my friend Tom and I, in California, he has a, a similar-sized church in Orange County, California, and it's been really fascinating to compare our circumstances. And there's been times where, you know, we've admitted to each other, we've been kind of jealous of each other's good fortune, blessings, whatever. Uh, I mean, he's in Southern California. It's perpetually perfect weather, right? He's just going to keep doing this outdoor service. And as I look, as, as the snow will fly, and it will, it's going to be hard to, to know how to gather. And it, for some of you, it means that you won't be able to gather physically with us, and, and that hurts my heart, and, and, and it's hard. And on the days that it really steals my contentment, I'm just comparing my circumstance with somebody who I assume has a better circumstance. But on the days that I really feel a sense of peace, that God's going to provide, that God is sovereign in all things, that God can grow us, even in these circumstances, it's when I'm not thinking about what it would be like to have Orange County weather, this winter, and I'm thinking about how not perfect, not ideal the circumstances were for Jesus, and he and he came into that really, really terrible situation, terrible part of history, part of the world, and he started the restoration of the entire human race there, and the same spirit that rose him from the dead apparently lives in each of us. And in our collective gathering, even our digital gathering, and a strange feeling comes over me. It's the feeling of a muscle growth, the muscle of contentment. To say, God, whatever happens, it's going to be okay. 
even when it's not okay, it still is okay. Because you're in control. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I'm going to ask Pastor uh, Chad to come up here and, and Joel maybe as well. And let's just do a little, a little uh, silence here as we hear the, the wind through the leaves. Let's just prepare our hearts. And Lord, we just ask that you would, you would come and convict us in a healthy way of, of the lack of contentment we may have been fostering up until this moment. Remind us that you want us to learn how to be content like your servant Paul did. Help us, Jesus, to include you in every moment of our day, to invite you in, to remember what your life, your death, and your resurrection was like, and to be found in Christ, contented, joyfully, no matter what the circumstances are. In your name we pray, amen.